this week's episode, I am joined by Kristen. Kristen takes us on the journey of endometriosis and bodybuilding. I would just like to put a trigger warning on this episode as we do go into some detail on the reproductive system, having children and also mental health. So I hope you do stay tuned and join us as us warriors unite. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Warrior Unite podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. And joining us this week, we have the beautiful Kristen. Hello, Kristen. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Do you want to let our listeners know whereabouts in the world you are? I am currently calling in from a place called Bettendorf, Iowa, kind of smack dab in the middle of the U.S., but I live um, in central Illinois, so right just a little further east over, about an hour and a half away. Okay, so you're early in the day, so where you are? Yep, it's only about a little after 10 a.m. here. <laughs> okay, so not too bad. So, um, so Kristen, thanks a million for doing this podcast. And I'm sure a lot, a lot of people are going to be very, very interested in your story. And it will give people hope, too, that have the same condition as you, um, as to that they can, there's other things they can do in their life while they have this condition. So, listeners, I'm going to let it over to Kristen, and I'm going to let her tell you her story. Yeah, so my journey with endometriosis really began in early um, January 2017. Um, I am a really big um, into bodybuilding. Um, And so I was getting ready to start preparing for a show um, and a couple of weeks into dieting and I was just starting to cut my calories a little bit doing extra cardio. I started to notice some abnormal um, vaginal bleeding. And that was kind of my first cue that something was a little bit off. Um, And then in hindsight, there was a couple more symptoms in the months prior, um, such as my hair thinning out and just stuff like that going on. Um, So I was of course concerned right away. And so I got to my primary care and I was very lucky. Um, This was here when I was still in Iowa. My primary care was very receptive and she got me into an OB um, right away. And they did some imaging. They did a transvaginal ultrasound and they just said I had a hemorrhagic cyst or a presumed hemorrhagic cyst on my left ovary. It was about two centimeters and it was probably what was causing some of this breakthrough bleeding. Wasn't in a lot of pain at that time. Um, so I kept kind of going about symptoms very, very mild. Maybe it was just kind of, I was aware that the cyst was there, just kind of felt like I had maybe a little rock in that side. It wasn't bad at all. Um, So I go about um, preparing for a bodybuilding competition and bodybuilding shows. um, It's a lot of dieting. It's a lot low calories, high cardio. Sometimes, unfortunately, that is what it takes to get there sometimes. Um, But really went symptom free, a couple breakthrough bleeding here and there. It wasn't anything super crazy. I just thought, you know what? My calories are getting low. My hormones are just off. It's just, just my cycle kind of being skewed no big deal. So I get to my actual second show of the season. I won my first show, did great. And I get to my second show and I wake up the morning and just something was not right. Um, I was experiencing a lot more pain in that lower left side. It was about a five out of 10. Um, Had some more vaginal breakthrough bleeding there, was not even close to when my cycle was. um, And I had not lost it. Sometimes that does happen with bodybuilding girls who lose their cycle. Um, but I had not lost mine. I told my coach like, Hey, I don't feel good. I don't even know if I can get on stage and do this today. Um, had a low grade fever, but you know, get through it, get through the day, get home. And the next day I just woke up in about 10 out of 10 pain. It just felt like something, a knife was in my left ovary and just the pain was raiding down my leg, woke up nauseous, vomited, starting to sweat a little bit. 
and my dad took me to the emergency room. We get into the ER, they do another transvaginal and I was not getting blood flow to that ovary. The cyst had grown to about six and a half centimeters and it was cutting off the blood flow. And so my ovary was in torsion. So get prepped, I go for surgery. They call in whoever from this place um, in the Quad Cities to do probably the leading OBGYN clinic in the area. They do the surgery, I wake up and she's like, hey, we need a chat. I was like, okay. She's like, it wasn't a cyst that was causing um, your ovary to um, go into torsion. She's like, I, you have endometrioma, endometrioma and it's an endometrioma there. And she's like, you have stage four, by the way. And I was like, what's endometriosis? I was like, what is this? I've never even heard of endometriosis at this point. Um, And my mom, I can just see the look on her face, kind of like, oh crap. And that just set off a kind of my experience. And after that first surgery, I was in pain just about every single day. So no symptoms at all ever in your life up till what age were you when you had your first, those symptoms? Oh, I was 25 because I'm 30 now. Wow. So you were stage four at 25 and you hadn't a clue. Never knew. I mean, like in high, like I said, in hindsight, yeah, my hair was starting to thin out. I was developing a lot of um, kind of just aches in my joints. Um, but again, I just contributed that to dieting um, and just being low calories and training. So I wasn't really thinking it was anything else. And yeah. And so they, and yeah, that just set off the tidal wave and come to find out they said they removed as much of the endometriosis as they could um so they did just some ablation but it was a poorly done um didn't get any kind of relief whatsoever um and it felt like I was in pain just about every single day there on out and it started to really impact my life um in a negative way I was no longer able to work full-time I was no longer able to train and as a bodybuilder, that was just really tough not being able to get to the gym, even though that was a stressor and that probably did contribute somewhat mm-hmm. to the onset of symptoms. It was still um, kind of a mental break for me. So having my routine completely switched, um, yeah, it led to a lot of years of depression. And then with the depression, it was kind of like it led into one thing after another. It was like a domino effect. Yeah. Had this like basically what I could describe as like a nuclear bomb went off inside me that day. And then it just kind of, yeah, everything else came with it. And all of a sudden I'm bloated, um, gaining five, six pounds of inflammation. It hurt to eat. Um, I was starting to have pain after sex. Like all the classical symptoms you hear about all of a sudden were happening to me. Um, so immediately they put me on then some birth control hormone therapy. And that just mm-hmm. made everything worse for me personally. I know some people really benefit from it. Um, but my depression got worse. I became suicidal. Um, and then six months later, I had more ovarian torsion. So another cyst had formed and endometrioma had formed and pretty much the same size at the same weight. It just did the exact same thing. Um, so they did some more surgery and they said the disease had definitely advanced. It was now in my ureters, um, in my urethra, which explained I was all of a sudden having constant symptoms. Like I was having a UTI all the time, um, which was more inconvenient than anything. Um, so yeah, they did more surgery and it just led to more pain. Um, and so I got into this special vicious cycle of narcotics, mm-hmm. pushing hormone therapies. It just then having the side effects from those hormone therapies. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that because once bad enough, um, you find out this, right? You know that your career for bodybuilding has to stop then because of it. Like that's all you know and you loved. 
like you didn't even notice that this illness was going on you because you were so focused and dedicated to your bodybuilding so that was obviously a huge impact your mental health because I can imagine what you were saying to yourself is what am I going to do now so I mean when your mental health goes that that like triggers your physical health as well so it is just a vicious that goes that goes round and round and then no one treats it's like it's you go to an OBGYN they just think about the your reproductive organs they're not thinking how multi-system this is they're not no one wants much as hey maybe you need to go to therapy because Mm -hmm. you've been gaslighted by the medical community I can't count how many times I was in the ER granted I understand it you have a chronic illness you're coming in with severe pain and they're there to save lives you know it's a different way of thinking so I can see how it's a little bit challenging sometimes but as an excuse being not being do do you think that because with people I've done a lot of research over the years and with people that have chronic illness um there's a very very high rate of suicide in that community because you're told hey you've got this disease there's nothing really we can do for it go home and get on with your life you now are coming to terms with the fact that you have an illness that you have 24 7 it's chronic because it doesn't go away it only gets worse you have flare-ups and people are doing that exactly like the medical teams are saying well I told you what you had what about the mental implications it's it's having but doctors need to they really do need to understand that yeah it's just I and I I think part of it's the training too like I heard my I have now a very sympathetic OBGYN we're still looking for another specialist to take on my case she at least listened she's like well here's the deal and this is what my experience was in medical school they were told oh if your patient has endometriosis put them on birth control if that doesn't work do surgery. If that doesn't work, do a hysterectomy. If that doesn't work, you no longer have reproductive organs, send them off. It's no longer your problem. And so that's the training I feel like most medical physicians go through. And that's what we're kind of stuck with. So I mean, it needs to start even further down to change the narrative of how endometriosis is treated. It needs to start with their training and that this is a very real condition with very real impacts, not just on their reproductive health. It's, I mean, they know it's the leading cause of infertility, but yeah, the mental health aspects, you have girls, you know, committing suicide eventually because of the pain and not being heard. Multi other problems, the nervous system gets involved there, your GI system, all that stuff. And it's just, yeah, the training needs to change first. No, no, you're dead right. Because I've heard, I've had a few people that I've interviewed um, over the, the last series and it seems to come I didn't know much myself about endometriosis. I'd heard one or two people have it, but people would just say the name and you automatically thought that something got to do with the periods because we don't know. You're not taught anything about that in school as a female anyway, first and foremost, mm-hmm. where the important thing you should be discussed about. Um, you're always taught that if you have a heavy period or something, it's nothing to worry about. It's just part of your life. Get on with it. So when you're having operations and left with scar tissue, I mean, that's that's affecting your body as well. For sure. Yeah. I think that's, and that's nothing I was ever told like, Hey, there's going to be repercussions from your surgery as a result. Like this is what's going to happen. Kind of wish I would have known a little bit more about that. Cause it just, I've had gone through four ablations. Um, And I mean, it's like with each one, it gets worse and worse. So I I think it is. You'll be very delicate after the first surgery. So I can imagine three or four times what your body is going through. Yeah, so I refused to go another under another surgery. Luckily, though, um, it was through bodybuilding, though, and getting with a different coach, I kind of found out how to manage it more on my own. And we were able to get it to the point I had about 
eight pain-free cycles in a row. And when we went eight months pain-free, I'm just now kind of starting to have a few symptoms. Again, that is because I'm trying to get ready for a show November 6th. And so we anticipated it. Um, but I also said if it got too significant, I wasn't going to put my health in jeopardy here. So just monitoring it as much as I can, but I have much better handle on lifestyle changes and whatnot that have led to a lot of my symptoms for sure. I know people want to listen because they, they always want to hear tips on this. Do you think it's because you went back training and changed your diet and all that, that your symptoms die down? Or is there something specifically that you done that helped the symptoms calm down a bit? Um, I did not understand how important stress management was. And this is little things like your caffeine intake, your alcohol intake. Um, I mean, endometriosis is very estrogen driven, right? And so your liver is responsible for processing excess estrogen. So I'm not going to give my liver an extra job and have it process alcohol too. So I cut back on the alcohol, but then I got into like meditation, yoga, um, gentle movement and stuff like that to help free up all that scar tissue, which is just good spiritually as well. And that for me has been a game changer and continuing to do that, even as I add in less food more cardio has been helping me manage it. And so I really contribute a lot of my success just, just to being more sensible and being more mindful um, and just really becoming in more in touch with myself too as a person. Yeah, awareness is very important, isn't it? I find that myself um, that, yeah, being very mindful of everything you're doing, being very aware even down to what you're putting into your mouth because no matter what you do, it's going to affect your body. So that is, that is a good point. Yeah. And then like setting boundaries, which you and I had touched on when we were trying to set this one up too. And it's just having those yeah, firm boundaries and knowing that I need my time and my space to unwind and kind of just decompress has been really critical too. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're transition back in. Is this your first time going back into a competitive side yep. of it after going through all this? Yep. This is my first time. So we made sure we got things under control and felt confident that I was okay. Ran lab work, made sure that was looking good. No obvious um, issues there. And yeah, we've been going, we've been, we started around mid-June and it's been pretty smooth sailing so far. Just kind of in the last, um, in the last month, there's been a couple of little things, um, but nothing that's not manageable for sure. So. So you're back to your full on training. Do you think... Mm -hmm. That, that can, if anybody's listening, that is worried or a little bit intimidated about going to even say the gym or getting up walking or doing something, do you recommend that they try some little bit of, of exercise or? I think movement is really beneficial. Um, and I think it comes down to listening to your body and how much you can tolerate. I can tolerate a lot more than probably some people, but even if it's just getting up and walking and going on a 20 minute walk in the evening, um, even light resistance training, um, rest and restorative yoga too. I think all of that is really good just from the endorphin release too. Um, so yeah, but it's just, I think listening to your body, knowing how much you can push and how far. So for me, like I said, I can push a lot further, um, but for some that might send you over the edge. So just being really in tune with your body. And that's where kind of all my self-awareness and meditative training really came into play. Just knowing what I am capable of and what I'm not. Yeah, it's finding something good that works for you as well. I suppose everything is really it's trial and error, isn't it? Um, to try oh, yeah. for a little. Yeah, we um, the jury's still kind of out if we want kids or not. Right now, we're not in a place where we want them. Um, but will that change? I don't know. And I've had conversation with my OBGY, and we just have no idea how that's gonna 
play out. Um, kind of a time will tell. I do know that yeah, it might it might prevent me from having kids on my own down the road, and that's a very real possibility, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's a hard. That I mean, that that going to play on your on your mental health side of it as well. I'm not asking you these questions now to make you feel feel sad or anything. Oh no, it's just, yeah, I know. Never. I know there's people out there that will want to know this because. As you said, you're stage four. And as I was telling you, I didn't know much Only what I've heard. I didn't even know till recently speaking to other women that there was different stages of endometriosis. And I know a lot of them do have that concern. And some that are the same in saying that, like, OK, I don't I'm never thought about kids. But until I hear the option that it, that might not be available, then it, it's really triggered on them. Yeah, and it is, um, it, is an, it is an upsetting fact to kind of understand, especially hearing my mom. She had endometriosis. She struggled conceiving both my sister and I. And we presume my sister has it as well. She had quite a hard time conceiving her little one. So such a hard time, she's not going to go through the process again of trying to conceive. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's very upsetting, but you know, there's also mm -hmm. other, I'm excited about other possibilities too, that came down to it, adoption and whatnot too. Yeah. Thankfully we're in the age where there is, um, many, many, many options out there, you know, and that, that is a good, that's a good thing comforting because I mean, if, if you want to have children, there is, there is that road to go down and who knows, God might grant you 10, you might have 10 of your own children. You oh, never know, sure. until, you know until the time comes. Um, also, as you were just mentioned with your family there, with the endometriosis, is it a genetic thing, do you think? I think there is a genetic component. Um, I, I remember reading a study not too long ago that they found endometrioma tissue in fetuses still. So oh. I do think there is that component there. Um, and I think then it boils down to your environment or the conditions right for it to onset. One thing I haven't touched on when I was going through puberty and all that, I was diagnosed with anorexia too. So right at a time when everything is trying to come together and work together as one, I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't get my cycle for a year or two at a time in puberty. Um, so I think probably the conditions were right for the onset of it. Um, if that contributed, I don't know. It could be other stuff, but poor stress management, like we talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a genetic component for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. You'll hear more and more about conditions that actually are genetic, but I don't think, I think when the person going through the condition can put the link together as it being genetic, when you're saying it to a doctor, they're kind of looking at you as if you're growing these horns outside your head. Like, what are you in about? Um, so it is very, very important. Do you think, would have been obviously, endometriosis is only available in the female body it doesn't come to everybody else um do you think they should do studies like that in school especially on young girls starting off that it's okay to talk about a heavy period that it's okay to that so that they could basically catch it earlier is what I'm trying to yeah say. I think so because and then at that age you're going to get them at a better time with you can work on their lifestyle and making sure that they have the proper tools going into on how to manage it because you instilled certain behaviors and it's going to be a lot harder to break because I am a firm believer that there are lifestyle factors in play there and that it is up to the patient's responsibility to change some of that and manage that for sure um and then yeah they need to know that it's not right because yeah we're taught that you know heavy periods are right 
um, are okay, it's normal, it's a normal bodily function that you have every month, just get over it. Um, and so then they, yeah, go all these years in chronic unnecessary pain. And it's yeah. just, un it's completely uncalled for. Like we don't need to be doing that. So they, yeah, they need to know that it's right. And I'm re really excited about the research who on teenagers who get excision, proper excision surgery off the bat. And then they live. So do you um, believe in self, obviously self-advocate and go out and find out the information yourself? Yeah, and I think endometriosis is one of those diseases patients know a lot more than a lot of doctors, especially primary care um, and whatnot. And I think you're in an uphill battle starting off. Um, and I think it is extremely important to know about your disease and all that good stuff. Um, so you're better armed and you can go and communicate. I think it gives you a better shot for sure. In the management of it? Mm -hmm. Just understanding what it was or as best as I could. Yeah, because if you go, I'd assume when you go to a doctor, you're just really given a prescription, realistically, aren't you? I can speak on behalf of, for my experience here in Illinois mm -hmm. and Iowa, yeah, most primary cares don't know a lot about it. Um, I had one doctor say I'd never even heard of it. Wow. I've, yeah, and then, so that's just been my kind of experience, just very lack of information. So then when you go in there with knowing more, it can be a little bit challenging, but yeah and true I've, I've heard somebody else saying it recently and it made loads a load of sense to me it is okay to fire your doctor if your doctor is not doing what you need them to do it's okay because when we're growing up as kids we're we're always kind of taught that um doctors are great if you fall you have a bang you go to the doctor he'll fix you it's miracle workers when you grow up and you end up having conditions like these are part of the chronic illness or disability world, it becomes a different, it becomes a scary area because you're met with a lot of no's, no, I don't know, no, I don't know. So you have to become a self-advocate for yourself and people still get intimidated and they try, they try and put off doctor's appointments because you're going to be told the same thing. I don't go in and out of hospital myself because I know the procedure when I go in there and I can do that procedure at home. Um, where it's safe and I'm comfortable so I guess my message would be to somebody um yeah you, it's okay to sack your doctor do remember that your doctor is working for you they're your primary care you can ask questions you know your own body that doctor sitting in front of you may have a degree in something may have done years studying it but they're not studying your individual body so um any, any tips on that that you would say to somebody going through endometriosis or just finding out about it now? Um, in terms of like, if they want to like fire their doctor and get rid of them or like how to approach that conversation. Yeah. If that it's okay I, for them to. Yep. I always, I have fired a couple of doctors in my day and I always just say, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I really appreciate everything you have done for me. All the time you have taken and trying to treat me. I just, we have a different opinion on what's best for me um, based off my body and knowing how I'm feeling. I think I want to pursue care with somebody else. I never make it a personal thing. I never try and say it's because you don't know anything. I just always mm -hmm. thank them for their time and just leave it at that because I can't, I don't necessarily blame the doctor when I, like we talked about earlier, I think problems stem earlier. So I just still just leave it nice and courteous. And that's all that I think needs to be said. Yeah, I think that is that is the best way to do it because they're all in that thing. The doctor can't give you what they don't know. You have information that the doctor may not know. And it's not 
that that I'm saying, oh, just get rid of them. The doctor's stupid. It's not. It's you might have to go through ten or twenty doctors before you meet the one that actually knows what you're going through, has actually dealt with that before, and that is a long process. So, um, it's hard enough finding out your diagnosis and trying to come to terms with, it, but it is a long and lengthy road and process that you will go over and over. Um, that takes a lot on you mentally as well. Oh yeah, it was exhausting. Um, and at times I felt very hopeless and that for sure contributed to more depression issues. Um, but I, you know, a quote stuck out to me when I struggled with depression before my diagnosis in my mid twenties. And it's just like, I've made it through hundred percent of my bad days so far. Well done, and that's yeah. pretty good. So it's just get through one more day, try one more thing. Um, Cause you never know when the next thing is going to be the thing that actually maybe works and helps for you. And I can personally say if I had given up during that time of hopelessness, I wouldn't be back in bodybuilding. I wouldn't um, be in a place where my disease is very manageable most days. Um, and so it's just, yeah, keep trying, keep going. So yes. keep having hope. Hope is everything. Yes, exactly. If you, yeah. Yeah, and also celebrate your wins. Don't keep thinking of the failure time. Celebrate the wins as small Absolutely. as they may be. You have to celebrate them. It gives you motivation to keep you going. I was going to say, yeah, just during my dark days, you know, the days where it was, you know, you're at the worst. It was just even like celebrating, like getting up and making my bed. Because then at the end of the day, I had a nice made bed to come home to. And if that was the greatest part about my day, hey, that's fine. <laughs> um, but it's just making those, yeah, small, very manageable goals even if they were just that simple. Yeah, that's incredible. That's that's actually great advice because it is something I think everybody everybody in the world looks forward to is always when you, you know, you change the sheets and you just have to come out of the bat and you've clean pajamas on, you get into clean beds, one of the, like you feel like you're the richest person in the world. And it's true, it is just that small thing, but it was that little comfort to you at the end of the day, you know, you're getting home into a nice, comfortable bed. Yeah. So, um, before I let you go and get back onto your day, I was just wondering if, if you have maybe if you have any maybe three tips you can give somebody out there that is just coming to terms with what they're going through. Um, if, we kind of touched on I think most of them, but being your own advocate for sure. Um, don't be afraid to get in and get into the research. Um, I, have you heard of Nancy's Nook on Facebook? No, I don't. I don't use Facebook. I got rid of that a long time ago. It's a group and they have the most up-to-date um, research posted there. And they also have a list of excision surgeons worldwide. Um, and some surgeons are reporting with excision surgery reoccurrence as low as 6%. Um, so, and that's what I'm trying to pursue right now is getting, it's the insurance battle now is to get the excision surgery. Um, so I, I always say start there. Um, that's where I found the most comprehensive knowledge. I mean, it breaks it down into your, your bowel endometriosis, like thoracic endometriosis, like what to expect with surgery, all of that good stuff. Um, and then they also have like tips on how to talk to your doctor too, if you suspect you have endometriosis and all that. So really helpful resource there. So yeah, for sure, get involved, get to know your disease. Um, and really learn about it, um, manage your stress for sure. Find something that is really calming and relaxing, whether it's like reading, I those fancy adult coloring books I think are really cool and I personally like. Um, and then the rest and restorative yoga too has been very helpful. Um, and then don't be afraid to like look at your diet, low anti-inflammatory foods. I do a Mediterranean-based diet personally. I find that really agrees with me um, too, so. 
Yes, Those are my three things. Excellent. Um, would you be able to give us the name of that group again for anybody that might have heard you say it in the first time? Yep, it's Nancy's Nook, N-A-N-C-Y apostrophe S, and then Nook, N-O-O-K. N-O-O-K, and that's available on Facebook, is it? Mm -hmm. I'll leave that link. I will leave that link in the bio for anybody that is listening that is going through any type of endometriosis. Um, can I say thank you so, so much for your for taking your time out? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I was super excited when I found this podcast too. I think it's great because definitely more, the narrative needs to change on how it's treated and how, what women are going through. It's not okay, so. Excellent. And um, we wish you the very best of luck in your upcoming competition. November is, did you say November? November 6th, yep. Up in Chicago, Illinois. Thanks a million again. And the very best of luck with everything. And I look forward to catching up with you again sometime and we can check in on you. Thank you. You have a great day, okay? You too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you again to this week's guest, Kristen, for joining with us and for being so open and sharing her journey. I wish you the very best of luck in your upcoming bodybuilding competition. If you would like to follow Kristen's journey, you can find her on Instagram at underscore Chris Marys. That's all one word. So I do hope you will come again and join us as us warriors unite.